Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow. Now, if you are one or more of the above, and in fact, many of our listeners who tune in every week for the Business Creators Radio Show are all of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We're also on a number of different outlets, including iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe, you will get over 200 episodes on a variety of topics and tracks relevant to business creators, immediate access to all of those, plus fresh content every single week. Now, speaking of fresh content, uh, a lot of what we do here at the Business Creators Institute has to do with taking businesses that have already achieved a certain level of success and find themselves somewhat plateaued, whether it's their marketing strategies, their organizational strategies, their team strategies, and getting them off that plateau and getting them to a higher level of achievement and success. Today's topic is going to be about what separates high achievers from the rest. And we're going to talk a little bit about sales. We're going to talk a little bit about marketing. We're going to talk a little bit about team building. So it's going to be kind of a wide-ranging, maybe even a little bit of a freewheeling interview. And I'm very, very, very excited to have with us today none other than Glenn Matson. And let me just tell you a little bit about Glenn here just super quick before we dive in. Uh, Glenn Matson is the founder and CEO of Matson Enterprises. He oversees an elite team of practice development consultants who provide solutions to agency leaders and salespeople facing the challenges of achieving extraordinary success in highly competitive and overcrowded markets. He's an extremely sought-after keynote speaker, a gifted and respected platform trainer, coach, advisor, and author. And as Glenn loves to say, this is a quote from Glenn, my business is helping my clients transform their business into a more efficient, productive, and profitable one. Now, that's music to my ears, and you think you're maybe starting to see why we work to get Glenn on the Business Creators Radio Show and why we're so excited to have him now. So, Glenn, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. All right, Adam. Thanks for having me. This is fantastic. Look forward to it. All right. Before we dive in, and we have a lot of stuff we're going to cover here, uh, what I'd like to do is, and this is what I love to do with folks uh, when I bring them on to the Business Creators Radio Show, uh, I typically share the official bio, some of the statistics, some of the uh, stats and things like that. But what we love to do is give our guest expert the opportunity to tell a little bit about their own story of their own journey and what has driven them to the point where they are now, where they serve our business creators from the intersection of their brilliance and passion. So this helps our audience get to know you a little bit better because I imagine some of our listeners um, have a separate tab open in their browser, and they're Googling Glenn Matson trying to figure out who he is. So what I'd like to do is just give Glenn the opportunity to tell us. So go ahead. Thanks, Adam. Well, I wish it was a glorious story of, of all successes, but I, start, <laughs> I got started off years ago um, 
really early on, and, and it's almost like a hair club for Mentric. I started way back in high school being self-employed. I had a unique difference where um, I did go to work with other people. It wasn't my thing. I figured that out at 16. And I remember my father saying, if you want to control your destiny, then you're going to got to control your pocketbook. And the person that can control that more than anyone else is you. And right. since I was 16, it's been great. And uh, coming from a teacher, right, someone who's not a risk taker, really pointed me in the right direction. And all my brothers are entrepreneurs. And I got started off, had a business through college, was doing quite well. I sold it and then got into the consulting business. And I have to say, Adam, it was tough in the beginning I was very good at what I did previously. A lot of business was coming in from referrals. I started doing the consulting business and found myself having to go out and find business. And all those new feelings that I never had before in terms of fear of rejection, doubt, guilt, worry, waking up in the middle of the night, what happens if? And the nice yeah. thing is is that, yeah, I'm so passionate about what I do is because I actually followed the system that I teach people. So I became a product of my own product. And within nice. Sandler, we got some pretty cool stuff. So I literally engulfed myself into our program and really transformed who I was. And after about five years, I was the number one producer from a, who was not a franchise owner, and that's how Sandler is. It's a franchise network. I was the largest producer in the United States, and another two years after that, I was the largest in the world. And at that point, I decided to go on my own and open up my own franchise and be my own boss again. And uh, right. so we've been doing that now for 11 years. And knock on wood, we're in the top 1% in the world. Yeah, and uh, and I think you deserve a lot of congratulations for that. Uh, what I'd love to do is uh, just share a couple of things that jumped out at me. Is, you, know, you say I, you, know, you wish your life story had been uh, a journey from success to success. And I don't know anybody that has, really has that story to tell. And what's so funny is people look on, they'll go on social media and they'll say, hey man, look at all those other coaches. They're crushing it. They're, they're doing six figures. They're only working with, with uh, their top clients and uh, they, they have leverage, they have teams, and they have all this other stuff. Well, let me tell you, Glenn, I've been around this for 14 years and I've seen behind a lot of facades. And the fact is, I don't know anybody who has it nailed, the degree to which somebody's happy rah-rah Facebook post would let have you believe. And here's the reason why. Not that they're not doing good. In fact, many of them are doing very well. The challenge is, is we see our own footage on the cutting room floor while we're looking at everybody else's highlight reels. Meanwhile, some of these people with their rah-rah, look at me, my business is growing 900,000%, and this has already been my best year ever, and it's only January 18th, they may be looking at you with all that uh, footage on your cutting room floor saying, wow, I wish I could be successful as them. Here I am struggling. Isn't that ironic? Isn't it? You know, and, and – and you know, some people will always look at others. You know, when you go on these social media sites, no one ever shares reality. What they share is the home runs. Right. And what we live with in our head are the home runs but also the strikeouts. And we have right. to balance those, right? You never see someone put on Facebook, I just had a terrible day today. I just lost a, our largest account. I'm not sure how we're going to do right. payroll in four days, right? That doesn't yeah, come no up. one ever posts that, yeah. No, no. You know, so – and, and I think that if you look at most self-made entrepreneurs, there is a formula 
that they can have that will lead them towards success. Now, they may not want to follow it. They may have a tough time doing what it says. But for the most part, if you look at those that are successful, yes, they're doing some things in sales. Yes, they're doing some things in marketing. But, Adam, a lot of them have the, the right mindset, and that's what makes them successful. And that's also what makes other people who have a great business, a great market, a great idea not become successful. So there's always that, that yin and the yang. And, you know, most people always want to know, well, what book should I read or what's the magic dust in this and what's the magic dust in that? And there is some obviously magic dust and strategies and tactics. That's why what separates the good from the great. But it's the attitude. It's in, things in between your ears. It's the vision. It's your grit. It's the ability to handle pressure, the ability to have guts and, and, and have goals, learn how to fail and not take it personal. I mean, it's just a recipe of about eight or nine things that people need to really understand that if I can accomplish this and own it, then my mind will let me become more successful because at the end of the day, we earn exactly what we think we're worth. We call on in our marketplace the people that we believe we should be in front of. So... If you look at a card that says president, you look at another card that says account manager, well, if you find yourself calling the account manager because you're more comfortable with that, that's a self-esteem problem. It's not a technique problem. So right. when we look at this stuff, most of us always want to work on the outside, not the inside. Right, right. You know, uh, back when I, I had a different type of uh, business and we did really specialized in website conversion consulting, I had uh, – somebody who uh, who uh, did a coaching session with us, and he said, uh, before we get started, you know, I've spoken with about 12 other people like you, and uh, they always say that in order to find the answer to what's going to convert best on my website and in my sales process, I need to test, and I need to do A-B split testing and float messages and things like that. Uh, before I give you the money, uh, I just want to know, what I'm looking for is the one right answer to what I need to do. I'm not looking to test. I'm not looking to experiment. I just want to know. And what I said to him is, well, as I see it right now, we have two choices. Um, one of which is if uh, I can ethically save you your fee right now and tell you that I'm going to be the 13th person that tells you you need to do A-B split testing, put things on the marketplace, <laughs> and find out what they're going to respond to. Or we can move forward with this coaching session. We can process a payment. We can go forward with our hour here because I think there's something else going on, um, and if we can answer this other question that I can see right now in big neon lights, but I need to lead you to, then I think you're going to find that uh, the, the relatively small investment here is going to more than pay for itself very quickly. And you know what his big issue was? His challenge is he um, had a confidence issue where he wasn't willing to assert himself to the marketplace as much as he himself believed that he was an assertive person. The fact was he didn't want to take a stand, which is why he mm -hmm. wanted to go into – he was all concerned with all this A-B testing and everything because he probably went to 12 other people, told them his story, and they said, well, this guy has not really given us anything definitive or shown us he's done anything to figure it out, so we better do some A-B testing. Now, I kind of saw yeah. – I don't want to say I saw through it, but – as I listened to him speak and I heard his frustration over being told that message over and over again, I thought, what is it about this guy that's causing 12 of my competitors or cooperators, if that's a word, you know, coopetition, uh, to tell mm -hmm. him that he, he needs to test everything rather than just giving him this roadmap that he's now coming to me saying he wants me to just take him by the hand and show him what to do. 
And uh, I just in his initial comments, once we got into the actual coaching session, it was about 10 minutes before we realized that, I mean, he had a very, very uh, famous product. I mean, if I told you who this guy was and what his product is, your eyes would pop out because, uh, Glenn, I'm actually aware you know this guy personally. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Because uh, I've mm-hmm. done research you, but uh, which just, you know, shows. And, you, and, if you, and if I told you who it was, you would not believe it was about this person. But it was just a real simple matter that uh, he was not in a place where he was able to assert himself in the marketplace to say, this is the position I take. I am aware that others may have different opinions on how to go about this, but I'm going to take a firm stand and say, this is what business creators, this is what entrepreneurs, this is what business owners need to do, and I have my results to back this up, and this is what I'm saying you need to go do. Man, once he was able to do that – Again, I don't want to say give any clues as to who he is, but uh, you saw a big change in what was going on in the marketplace. Now he was doing um, in-person mastermind retreats. Uh, I just watched, I, I only did one session with him, but over the course of the next six months, I watched his rates on his website double. I mean, Great. this. Uh, I mean, just mm-hmm. understanding that it's uh, it's that sort of thing. So it's not always what we think the issue is. Sometimes we're replacing one issue with another as we try and figure it out. Now, Glenn, when we were talking before we got on the line here, you were telling us a little bit about the black wolf and the white wolf, and I think that's what we're transitioning into right now. So tell us about the black wolf and the white wolf and why we need to be aware of these two powerful canines. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that when we look at individuals with regards to success, there's always three key issues, the techniques and strategy, blended with the behavioral plan that they need to do, so understand goals, behaviors, and plans. And then the last piece, Adam, is the attitude. That's everything in your head, your heart, and your gut. And the wolf story talks to the attitude. So if your attitude's poor, your behavior typically is poor. If your behavior's great, your attitude's great, but you're not good in technique, it's not going to work either. So this triangle we call the success triangle has to be equally focused. But everyone comes to us and you and other people looking for the magic dust on the technique side. Yet attitude drives everything in someone's business, good attitude and bad attitude. Now, the dark wolf and white wolf, black wolf, what the story is is of a Navajo Indian who has the, uh, the job, if you want to call it that, of preparing the chief's son to potentially one day take over the tribe and, and be that leader. Yeah. So if you imagine back and they're walking through the field and you can have your listeners look it up when, when we're done with the live podcast and take a peek at it. But when they are walking through the field, the medicine man basically turns to the young boy and says, all of us have two wolves that live inside of us. Now, of course, you can imagine a little kid walking through the field. Now he's feeling the stomach and his eyes are, you know, really big, bugging out of his head. And he's trying to figure out, well, why are you telling me I have a wolf that lives inside of me? And, he goes, well, how many are there? And he goes, there's two wolves. You have a black wolf and you have a white wolf. The black wolf is the one that feeds and represents and lives on fear, frustration, resentment, not taking responsibility, lying, guilt, worry, anxiety. Then he turns and says the white wolf is actually made up of humility, Love, risk-taking, not being afraid of failure, taking and having the capacity to be committed to something, having guts. 
So the young boy is kind of staring at him, and he, he says to him, well, which one wins? And the medicine man pauses and says, whichever one you feed, my son. In essence, we all have both wolves inside of us. And many of us, I'm a shrink by background, so many of us don't have the technical skills or the abilities to help people rewrite scripts in their head. So we're not going to shut the wolf off. What we have to learn how to do is control the wolf. You may not have the capacity to turn off the scripts, Adam, but you definitely can control if you choose to listen to them. So when we have these two wolves inside of us and we look at or listen and maybe look about those that are listening in, how often is it 9 o'clock in the morning and you're thinking negative stuff? What about when it's 10, 30, 11, 30, 12, 30, whatever it is, and it's time to go to bed and you're staring up at the ceiling in your bedroom asking yourself, if this doesn't happen, what about this? How am I going to be able to do this? If this doesn't work out, then I'm, I can't do this. And we're taking these feelings and thoughts and creating something that's not necessarily real, and we're jumping off the reservation. So yeah. a lot of those listening in, we have to learn to identify what the black wolf is, realize and be okay with the fact that it's going to come out and play sometimes. But what we need to do is learn how to protect it, learn how to not listen to it, and learn how to really utilize some of those things are good at the right time. But many of them are, are just devastating at the wrong time. Right. Now, you said something to me that was very curious, because I've heard the uh, which wolf will thrive, the one you feed story before. I haven't heard it quite the way you've said it, because uh, you add a lot to it. But I, well, I think a lot of us have actually heard that analogy, the wolf that survives is the one you feed. But uh, you said mm -hmm. something to me very curious that I want to explore right now. Uh, now, naturally, you want to feed the white wolf is the surface answer. But you said to me, you don't necessarily want to get rid of the black wolf, and the black wolf can bring value to you. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So the black wolf, again, represents some of the, the, the things that all of us potentially challenge and deal with that hold us back emotionally and mentally. So, for instance, if you know, one of our fears or, or issues is um, anxiety or um, fear of failure, now, fear of failure is probably, I think, unilaterally one of the biggest issues that most entrepreneurs have never figured out how to fix, which is the reason yeah. not great risk takers, which is the reason that half of their great plans never get executed. So when we look at this, there are times where that, that black wolf needs to come out, and it needs to come out in very specific situations. Um, you know, for instance, if you have a client of yours that you guys make an agreement, and the agreement's pretty black and white. They come back six months, three months later, and they want to make some alterations to it. Then they come back another 30 days later, and they, they want to pay you later. So all of a sudden, it seems like this relationship is not mutually beneficial. This relationship is starting to turn into a one-sided process. Now, if you have some, lack of a better word, anger in you, if you have some black wolf in you, that will help you overcome your fear of calling your client and confronting them. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be aggressive. It doesn't mean you have to be rude right. by, any, by any circumstances. But having that fair is fair mentality in your head, which is this is what we agreed upon, this is what we're doing, and it, it keeps seems to be changing, to be very one-sided, and I hope 
those listening in can get a sense of what I mean. Uh, if they've been unlucky enough to have someone like that. But it's okay to plant your feet and say, I'm not sure this relationship's working out for us anymore. Right. It's okay to plant your feet and say, you have to help me understand, we first started doing A and B, now we're doing C and E. You've got to help me understand why it's changed, how it changed, because where we're going, I can't continue down the road. Right. And the courage to have that conversation historically comes from being angry that you're being taken advantage of. Yeah, uh, yeah. So basically, what we're saying is you're using some of the black wolf characteristics and traits as a driver. So let's say you are in a situation yeah. where you have a client and things have just kind of gone sideways. You're not getting along. Uh, you're not seeing eye to eye. Um, and it, uh, and I think some of our business creators are going to feel, and I'm going to say this very bluntly, where it seems like no matter what you say or do, your client's making you out to be an asshole because uh, they've gotten in your mind that you're screwing up. And yep. you've got to break out of that. You're not, yeah, and, you're, yeah and, you, you, and it may make you doubt yourself a bit. Uh, it also may, may make you want to really dig in and say, no, I'm right here. No, this is, no I'm being mistreated and all that. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you use those energies, it helps you find one of the better ways to solve it, which is you do need to be very, you know, assertive with the client sometimes or you know at least you know you know plant yourself firmly in the ground and hold your stand like um like i remember one time uh, i was uh i created something for a client and uh their response to it was whatever and i had to have a conversation with them i said uh look i don't i don't know what what's uh, what's happening here but uh i can tell you right now that uh one thing nobody not even my own mother says to me is whatever you don't say that if you work with me. That being mm -hmm. said, now we need to look at uh, we need to look at uh, where is the disconnect and how do we get this back into alignment. So you see, I did two things. I identified a specific behavior, something that's absolutely unacceptable that I'm not going to I'm not going to tolerate or put up with or give a pass on ever. And I'm drawing that line and saying, don't ever say whatever to me because that just doesn't work for me. There's a reason why that is. It goes back to my past. Uh, not important, mm -hmm. but the fact is it's there. But then, having put that in one frame, now we need to look at another picture frame of what happened to this work of art that we were creating together, and why is it that all of a sudden all the paint is smeared, and how do we get it back in the lines? Yeah, and, and we can't deal with the questions, the perceptions. We can't deal with, with being unemotional during that conversation because the black yeah. wolf has taken us over. And you know right. when the black wolf takes over is we do, one of the outcomes, Adam, is, is, for instance, if you take a look at a sales situation or a management situation or a leadership situation, and, you know, small entrepreneurs, my, my hat's off to them because they have, wear a lot of hats and many of them have never yeah. been trained in any of the hats, right? That's true. So you know, hiring someone, onboarding them, having confrontational conversations, creating accountability, having a successful culture mindset, right, which is accountability, responsibility, and ownership. Because if you don't have that, you can't learn. Because if you don't have that, you make excuses, right? So one of the, the unfortunate rampant things in, in most small businesses is excuse making. And the sad thing is, if you take a look at studies, they will turn around and tell you that your people, that report to you, they spend the majority of their time understanding 
how to be held accountable, how to deal with excuses, how to deal with when the you know what hits the fan. Yeah. How to right? How to deal with pressure, stress, anxiety. Um, how to deal with time pressures, errors. They see all of that based on how the owner reacts. It's a hundred percent true that they will do 5% of what you tell them and 95% of what you do. Right. So if I have a business owner, and one of the things, I just had one this morning, we're having a dialogue, and one of the things that came back was um, we had some issues of accountability and, and the team was not taking ownership. Well, when I got the individual and we started going through the course of the conversation, I found out that the majority of the time when something doesn't happen, he blames the staff. Uh-huh. versus ownership. Right. So I said, oh, okay, I got it. And we went around and asked some more questions with the owner. And we found out real fast was the owner never took ownership, never take responsibility, never was held accountable. And in his mind, he'd say, look, I'm the owner. I said, yeah, that means it's all your fault. It's never not your fault. Right. Everything that happens, right, on your watch is yours. You have to remember – the shadow, the company can only be as big as the shadow of its leader. So you have to be exactly what you expect your staffs to be. You have to be exactly what you think the culture in the office is. It's not taught. It's shown. So when you're, when you're having these dialogues with people and taking a look at some of these barriers that they have and some of the things that they've been doing, this successful mindset of accountability, the reason that he couldn't hold people accountable in his office and had a tough time doing it, and the reason that so much darn lying going on, excuse-making, and no one taking ownership, is because they learned it from him. So the people listening in, sometimes if you have issues with staff, communication, the vibe of the office, the culture of the office, man, before you start looking at your staff, you've got to realize that Everything that's happening to the team, the team's giving back to you, is just a mirror of what you're giving them. You just don't see it. Yeah, and that's and that's where all these uh, these crazy coaches and consultants and everything are valuable because they don't have the tunnel vision, and to a degree, they don't have the same allegiances. Because you think about it, you bring a coach or you bring a consultant to your organization, they're a mercenary. They have no investment in your internal politics or your business creation story or anything like that, they're brought in to fix a problem. Mm-hmm. And if they're good... It, it, they're we have no emotional involvement. Right. I mean, the fact is, with some of my clients, I do get emotionally involved. It's not because I, you know, it's like all lovey-dovey, happy-sappy or anything like that. It's because I'm so driven to be successful myself that their success becomes my success. Um, I know you're going to say a little bit more, and then I want to develop on that, so let's keep going. Absolutely. But, you know, one of the things I find is in our practice, and it took me a year, and I've been doing this for 24 years, and knock on wood, we have an insanely successful bell-shaped curve. But when we work with individuals, one of the things that, that, and this is true for anyone listening in that has a sales team, has managers, has any variable comp that they can get paid in bonuses, et cetera, is you never can be more committed. You never can have more desire. You can't have a higher level of ownership to tasks than the people doing it. Right. 
Because if you have more commitment than they do, you have what's called a wake-setting office. And a wake-setting office is everybody in the office is doing the best they can just to keep up with you. And yeah. if you're an entrepreneurial, then you don't really have a business. You have a one-man show that everyone's employed. So there's a big difference between the two of them. Now, going back to your emotional involvement piece a couple minutes ago, you know, one of the things that people can find out or it's a little clue if they are getting emotionally involved. So emotional involvement is when an episode happens, Adam, that you do not have 100% conviction you know how to handle it. So an episode happens, you do not have 100% conviction on how to handle it. It could be staff, right. could be sales, could be pricing, could be anything. And the second it pops up, we in our head go, oh, sugar, right? Oh, Christmas uh -huh. tree, say something a little different in our head. Oh, and then, fuck. Yeah, blank. <laughs> You're right, you know? You know, just like the Christmas story when the, when the, the yes. love nuts fly in the air, right? So yes. all of a sudden what happens in our head is when that uh-oh pops in, instantaneously we do self-talk. We actually start to talk to ourselves in the middle of a meeting with a prospect, with a client, with one of our staff. So here we are. Imagine this on a sales call. And we're having a great conversation. You ask me a question about uh, fees. I, I give it back to you. And you turn around and say, man, that's kind of expensive. And in your head, you're like, uh-oh, I'm going to lose this thing. Why did he say that? And you were so far off the reservation that your mouth is moving, but I'm not hearing anything you're saying. So right. when you have people, that's called emotional involvement. Being a great Monday morning quarterback means that after you leave a call, after you hang up the telephone, you go, oh, I should have said this. I could have said that. Why didn't I say that? Well, that's clearly not a technique problem because you knew what to say. The problem is in the heat of the battle, you weren't there. You're physically there, but you weren't there. So one of the things that we try to really convince or show, convince not the right word, show, get people to the point, is we call it being the third person. Being a third person to your own selling event, being a third person to your own meetings, and that oh. means that just like if you and I went on a call together, and I watched you, Adam, sell this guy over here, right, Phil Nicholpletz, he's our make-believe prospect, and I'm watching okay. you sell, it's amazing in how me, I'm the observer, I pick up tonality, I pick up I, what they're doing, where the eyes, right, the eye accessibility. I pick up your nonverbals. I pick up the words you said, even questions that you asked, that, 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 that uh, um, Phil Nicholas asked, but you never heard them. You didn't see it. And the reason that you don't see it or you don't hear it is because you're the primary in this sales call. So when you're the primary, unfortunately, you have stuff going on in your head of where do I go next and how do I, what do I say this and what did he mean by that. Yeah, right. So you have to learn to be a third person to your own selling events. When you get emotionally involved, you are dead. Where the great right. salesmanship happens is when we're free and we can react to what they say knowing we have a path we have to go down. So if I'm free to listen, I pick up everything. So one of the things you should have or the people listening in is ask yourself, are you a third person to your own selling events? Are you a third person to your own confrontational conversations with staff when they didn't do something? Are you a third person when it's time to have a, a chat with your team about the great stuff that's happening? So if you do a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, shoulda, coulda, woulda, that means that you're getting emotionally involved. And for the average person, it's a big number they should write down, 
30% of their new business goes down the drain because of emotional involvement. It's a big number. Wow. And the other one that's a monster is 33% is lost because of need for approval. The need for approval is the basic premise of fear of rejection. So you just fix those two attitudinal black wolves, almost can double your business. Yeah, see, that's quite interesting. I mean, going back to that one uh, coaching session I did, uh, you know, know, I think that's part of what it was, was uh, on his – on his end, it was a, it was a fear of being rejected, a fear of being criticized, which is why he wanted to. Uh, you know, on the one hand, he was rejecting the idea of doing any A/B testing or seed launches or anything like that. He just wanted the one thing that would convert best. But on the other hand, what he was putting out there to these other coaches and consultants that he was paying this money to have them guide him, the vibe he was putting out says. This is somebody we absolutely need to do A-B tests and seed launches with because we just don't have enough information. And it came back to he just didn't want to be embarrassed in the marketplace. He didn't want to put something out and be criticized for it. And Mm -hmm. once he found a way not to eliminate that but to manage it, you saw what happened to his business. I mean, I know who the guy is, and I saw what happened to his business. It was pretty big. Now, let's let's Mm -hmm. go back to ownership. Of tasks, and I want to, and this is the thing I wanted to float by you is, uh, as you said, Glenn, nobody is as close to the task or as close to the project in the organization as the person doing it. Uh, so if it's the CEO that's doing the project, they are going to be the closest one to it. If it's the receptionist doing it between calls, she or he is going to be the one closest to it. If it's the uh, if it's the administrative assistant, she or he. If it's the accountant she or he, if it's the manager of the sales team, it's going to be she or he that is closest to it because they own it. So that being said, uh, and here's another thing that I've dealt with with clients uh, previously, is uh, you know, when, you know, when I create things for them, I expect feedback and implementation. Uh, if you say to me, I need you to keep putting stuff in front of me so that we can find out what I want, uh, I'm going to say, no, I'm just not going to do that because I'm going to put stuff in front of you, but I need to know, are we hitting the mark? Are we missing the mark? What is good? What is not what we're looking for here? And the sooner we get through that, the faster we're going to be in a place where we will get you what you need the first time 99% of the time. But we need to get integrated into that. We need to get integrated into that process. So going along with that and the fact that it's the person doing it who owns it most, uh, what I've seen be a real buzzkill in organizations is when people do projects and they send them upwards or sideways or wherever they need to go, and they just die. They never get reviewed. They never get approved. They never get used. And what I've seen happen, not only with others that I've worked with, but also with myself, is, well, I'm just not going to produce anything else. I've even gotten to the point with clients where I've said, yeah, you're asking for this, but what about this? What about this? What about this? Uh, I know you've invested in the resources to make all these things happen, and there they are sitting on your plate. Or I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just keep doing stuff so it can sit on your plate. When I generate things, because I want to, I want, I want to, I want to see them play. I want them to go out there, and I want us to do this stuff. And if I'm gonna see that my effort is never gonna see the light of day, and it's always gonna be uh, just sitting on a table somewhere, I'm gonna lose. I'm just not gonna care. I'll start phoning it yeah. in. And, uh, and translate well, that to a corporate environment where people are getting a paycheck for showing up X number of hours 
a week. That turns into a lot of time on your smartphone playing with Facebook to uh, avoid the IT sensors. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that they will do a, 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 a. I'm a big study guy too, so there is some statistical numbers out there, and you use the word. You know, as you were talking through it, um, there's a difference between having a plan and executing a plan. And Harvard did a study and said, which one is it? Is it the plan's fault for not execution or is it a poor execution for not following the plan? And people, at the bottom line is, your execution is part of your plan. So if you don't execute a plan, the plan's no good. Now, when we look at individuals, and unilaterally across the board, 75% of most companies do not achieve their goals because their people are not committed and motivated in achievement. And say it again, because it's a staggering rule. 75% of the companies fail to achieve their goals on time because most of the people are not committed or motivated in the achievement. Wow. So it's historically, it's a pronoun problem. So if you have two to five employees, people will say, well, if she's making me do this so she can make more money. There's no connection to me and what I have to do and how it works. So you look at other stuff. How many of our you know, listeners really have not just business goals, but goals, things that just they, they want to fight for? They're willing to give up stuff to, to do. They're willing to combat their greatest fears to get because 80% of the people walking planet Earth don't have any goals. They have nothing. They get up, they go to work, they come home, they play with the kids, they eat, and they go to bed. Now, 16% of the population have an idea, Adam, in their head of what they want. They don't write them down. They have ideas because if you write it down, you know, that means it has to come true. That means I may be held accountable to it. So I'd like right. to have it in my head, but I'm not going to write anything down, right? Right. Then you get less than 4% of the population actually write their goals down. 4% write them down. It's less than 1% of our population have goals, write them down, and look at them frequently. Less than 1%. Now, here's, to me, I think these are some scary, lovely numbers, but yeah. the people who have goals in their head, they are 10 times more successful than those that don't have any goals. Yet, the people who write them down and look at them on a regular basis, less than 1%, they earn nine times more than those that just write it down over their lifetime. So say that one more time say one more time. Yep. Sure. So nine, the individuals nine. they earn nine times more in their lifetime than those individuals who have goals in their head. They earn just nine by times write, more. just by writing it down, they increase their they increase their their overall lifetime earnings by nine times just because they write down their goals. They write it down, they also review it. So they write it down and they, they, they review it. So you'll hear people over and over and over, and, you know, everyone thinks it's a great idea that they created, but it's been around forever. Part of accountability is sharing. The more people that know about it, the more people that are going to know about it. So people will say, once you have your goals, you've got to go tell six, seven, eight, nine people. Write it in a letter. Go share it with other individuals. Share it with your spouse. Share it with your kids. Share it with, with other individuals. So the more people know about it, 
now it's not I, I want this, which is what unfortunately some goals are. Some goals are more about I would be nice to have, not need right. to have. And and need doesn't mean that it's to pay your bills. Need is I'm an overachiever and I need to get to this level. So there's a difference, Adam, as you know, between intention and commitment. And intention is the intellect of the brain saying, wouldn't it be nice to? But in, that, that's intention. Commitment is the little child inside your, 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 your body that says, I want this. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it legally, morally, and ethically. Yeah. And that, that differential is absolutely night and day. That's the difference between a plan and executing a plan. Right. Uh, you know, uh, two things come to mind. Uh, uh, I know somebody who uh, has been trying to uh, eliminate their credit card debt since the Great Recession. And it seemed like uh, every year they would maybe, you know, get a little bit of a bite into those credit cards, knock down some balances, but then something would happen, and by the end of the year they'd have the exact same amount of credit debt, like Groundhog Day over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. it's funny. And all that, they never set a specific goal. Um, their goal was, I want to get rid of the credit card debt. But there was nothing specific there. So they added a specific goal to that, which is, from this point forward, I will only spend money from incoming cash flow. I will not use the credit cards. I accept this means I may need to pass on some opportunities, and it means I may need to be more efficient with what I have, and I may need to be innovative about how I get things done. But I will not use a credit card. If the money's not there, the money don't get spent, period, under the story. <laughs> now, in yep. entrepreneur school, they teach you, well, you're not investing in yourself. You're choking your business. But see, here's the other piece. Here's the other piece. And this is a, and this is a principle that's taught by John Taffer of Bar Rescue. Uh, you can't save your way into prosperity. You can't save your way into profitability. But there are very few problems in business that cannot be solved by fixing the revenue problem. So what this other guy, yeah. so what this guy did is instead of just saying, well, I want to get rid of the credit card debt, he set specific goals. Goal number one is I will not use a credit card. I will only spend actual cash flow coming in. If that means I need to be more, quote, unquote, efficient about things for a while, that's how it's going to be. So I see these balances come down. And in the, and in the meantime, because I'm going to need more cash flow, I'm going to work on marketing activities that bring more paying customers in my door. So by putting those two written-down goals together, um, in a six-month period, he knocked the third off his credit card debt. Big stuff. Yeah, just by putting those right? two I goals mean, together. You, right. You, ha- you can only put down – and this is one of the things that when you have people listening in – it's nice to have goals that are financial objectives. It's really nice. It's really nice to have other things that are objectives. I got it. But the key to real good goal setting is you have to convert those, uh, those objects or benchmarks or goals that you have down to daily behaviors. You right. can only can control your behavior. You can only influence outcomes. So knowing that, you know, for instance, if my son says, Dad, I want to gain weight, Great, right? That's fantastic. That's good. You want to gain weight? I like it. It doesn't do yeah. you any good. Versus saying I'm going to have three peanut butter jellies a day. I'm going to have to do. I'm going to do. I'm going to do. And I'm going to lift. I'm going to. 
all the things that are actions, actions are behaviors, behaviors you choose to do or not do. So all our goals must be converted to daily behaviors so that we have the right choice to do it or not do it. And everything's a choice. Yeah. So oh, they do I, have I to be broken down to bite-sized pieces. I got one here. You're talking about goals. Um, I, uh, I, saw the, I saw this book. I love to read about history. I'm a big history buff. So I read this book about, uh, you know, about chief of staff to the president of the United States. And um, one of the themes in the book, one of the sections of it, um, it spoke about the different leadership styles of Ronald Reagan versus his successor, George H.W. Bush, in the 1980s and early 1990s. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they described the two management styles that those two presidents had with their staff and the people around them. Reagan was viewed as, I mean, he was a friendly guy, but he was actually pretty aloof. I mean, if he saw you in the hallway, he'd probably nod, but you never really knew if he even knew your name. Uh, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, and he had, and he was he was he was he was insulated. He had his his advisors that formed a cordon around him, and it was basically impossible to get close to him. Uh, George H. W. Bush, on the other hand, was the type of guy who would uh, show up at random at your desk and just start chatting, asking about your family, things like that. Sometimes oh, really? there, there were there were cases where he'd give people money. Out, just out of his own inspiration, if he heard something in their story that said, I'm really struggling right now, or um, just on a whim, he'd find out their parents' phone number, and he'd call up their parents and say, you know, uh, I, uh, your son, Glenn Masson, uh, you know, he works in my office here, and I just wanted to let you know he's the President of the United States, he's doing a hell of a job, and it's making, the, it's making it a lot easier for me to run the country, having your son on my team, so I just wanted to let you know that. He would do things like that. And when oh, they went back magic. and asked, and when they went back and asked a lot of those staffers who worked for both presidents who they preferred working for, the overwhelming choice was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Here's why. Here's why. Yep. When they worked for Reagan, they had very specific goals. The Reagan administration, uh, and you can, you can also use uh, you know, the Trump administration or uh, the, um, the Obama administration, you know, they, these, they have very specific Goals expressed in taglines and phrases that people can identify. I mean, you think about Trump, uh, build the wall, drain the swamp, reduce the scope of government, lower taxes, um, immigration reform. These are very specific, isolated things. And you can look at that and you can look at your task on your desk right now and say, which one of these objectives of my president is this working towards? With Reagan, it was even simpler than that. It was reduce the size of government, lower taxes, and beat the commies. What are you doing right now that reduces the size of government, lowers taxes, and, be- and, be- and beats the commies? It has to be one of those three things. So they were very clear. They didn't need to chat up Ronald Reagan to know what they needed to do to add value to his administration and know that their work was making a difference. Well, with Bush and his rambling, he was all over the damn place. They had no idea what he wanted to accomplish. So it was frustrating. It's like, it's like is this really helping? Is this what he wants? Uh, when this goes up the ladder to him, is he going to feel like – this is what he was hoping for. Is this going to match his goals? What are his goals? So it's great that he's a friendly yeah. guy, and uh, you know, compared to some of the other names I mentioned, uh, you know, much more accessible to his staff than probably all three of those other gentlemen combined. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it was just that whole thing of having the clearly defined goals made it easier for people to understand they were making a contribution and own their contribution. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. So in one of our, our chats with one of uh, my clients as an owner, 
he was talking about the frustration that the team doesn't know hierarchy, which means if they have eight things to do, how come they cannot figure out what's the right order to do what? And, you know, do we do service over here? we got a sale over here. we got to push some product out over there. They come in all in different directions, and they always pick the wrong stuff. So I said, oh, that's, in that's interesting. Huh. Why don't you bring in your, your, your three, three individuals? Maybe they came in, and I ran through four scenarios. You have these two things to do. Which one do you do first? If you have these three things to do, which one do you do first? And as I'm going through it, they're kind of looking to the left and the right because they're not even sure. So I, I turn and said, can I ask you guys a question? He goes, yeah. Do you have a set of rules that in terms of what needs to be done when, and i.e. order of importance, that gives you direction to help you understand how to make decisions without him being here, which was the owner? And they kind of paused, and I said, well, listen, I don't know if you guys would want that, but most companies, when I go in and start talking to them, Part of the frustration is we don't know where we're going. We don't know why we're doing certain things. And we don't know what's in your head. Are you feeling the same thing here? Right. Now, of course, the reason I had to do a third-person story is so they felt comfortable being honest. And one goes, I have no idea what we're supposed to do in what order. Now, the individual, we'll call him Buck for right now, he started to talk and defend it, and I kind of had to make him leave the room, not because he was being hostile. It's because you can't, you can't tell someone how, what they're feeling is wrong. Right. So you can't do it. So when he left, it was a, a tidal wave of one day it's this, second day it's that, third day it's something different. He'll tell us some stuff. We swear he's saying stuff in his head that he thinks he told us he never got back to us on. So there was just a big lack of communication. But there was no fundamental rules or fence posts on what is most important, what's number one, what's number two, what's number three. And at the end, the way they came up with is servicing a clients supersedes everything besides a sale of this side. So sales win over service all the time, unless right. it's an A client, then their service supersedes sales unless it's this level. And then we had three more fence posts. Then it became utterly easy for them to do emails, return phone calls, deal because he's not in the office all the time. It just become easier because now they know what the set of rules are. Right. Right? I, I tell you what, you, if the, all the people listening in, Go do a little survey with your team. You want to put on a monkey survey? You can do that. Or just turn around and ask them to, 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 to tell it to you. And whoever, you, whoever gets it right, send them on a trip, which is from where we sit, what are the three driving principles of this business? What's our number one vision that we're trying to accomplish? Number three question is, for us to be successful in 2018, what must occur? And the last question is, what's my stake in that? And for 23 years, I've never gotten past two, two answers being right. Wow. Wow, that's, some, that's something right there. So I think if there's one thing that our listeners... You know what's even worse, I mean, Adam? Sometimes the owner doesn't even know it. I know. Sometimes the owner doesn't even know it. Right? Yeah. 
yeah, that, 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 was, that was a timely interjection right there. So it really comes down to if there's one thing uh, of the many things on this call, if there's something that you li as a listener need to take away and embrace right now is understanding what are your goals? What are you looking to accomplish? And have you really identified this? It can be so simple, like going back to the example of the person who's looking to reduce their business's credit card debt. The driver is they're sick of the fact they have this huge debt number and so much of their income is, is, is being used just to service that debt and make these payments that aren't really doing anything to make a dent. So yep. they said, well, I want to get rid of the credit card debt. This year I get rid of the credit card debt. And every year uh, their accountant tells them that even though they may have paid down some cards or what have you, the, the aggregate amount of credit card debt is the same number year after year after year after year. But so what they did is they added two specific action goals. Number one, we will function off the cash flow of the business. If that means we need to make sacrifices, so be it. At the same time, we're going to minimize those compromises and sacrifices by doing things to bring in paying clients to raise the revenues. Put those two goals together, now you see the debt going down. And with the debt going mm -hmm. down, that's less, debt, that's less debt service, which accomplishes the original intention, which was to release cash flow that was being dedicated to debt service and put it towards business growth. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Yeah. If, 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 well, not funny, but if you, if someone calls my office and says, hey, what's the guiding light? People will turn around and say to transform your business. Right. Our business is transforming your business. Every time that something happens in our office, I will go back to the same question. What we're doing right now, what you're about to do, is that helping us be part of someone's transformation? Is right. that being the Sherpa that we are? Right? So we have to remember what our role is in someone else's, you know, our role is to be a Sherpa. So we have to remember what our role is. And everyone right. around you needs to understand what the role is. So we're all right. going in one unified direction. If you have fence posts, you know your foundations. If you have fence posts, you know what your limitations are. If you have fence posts, you know what your boundaries are. You yep. know it as the owner. Does your team know it though? Yep, just like yeah, just like as I mentioned earlier, you know, people working for the President of the United States, when it is clear what the president's goals are, when they understand mm -hmm. those policy points expressed oftentimes in very short three word, three syllable phrases. They can look at the work they're doing there right now, and they can and they can affirmatively answer the question, "Hey, if uh, if uh, if President Matson were all of a sudden to be standing over my desk and saying, "Hey, what are you doing?" Would what my explanation to him make him feel like I am working towards the fulfillment of one of his administration's goals? And in order to do that, I have to understand what those goals are. You break them into small pieces that people can align around, and it helps them even more own what they're doing because they feel that it has a goal in mind. Yes. You know, so again, sometimes some of our stuff is easy to fix. Some of it takes a little more work. But many of us are, are struggling with the same things at which we are exceptionally good at what our business does, but we may not be great at everything else to get around it, to bring clients yeah. in, to market, to talk to our people, to hire the right people, et cetera. So being an entrepreneur is not the easiest thing in the world, but we also have to realize there's some absolutes. We are going to have to take risks. We do have to communicate better. We have to be immensely 
really, really good at creating that vision of where we're going so our team knows what they're doing besides getting a paycheck. So that if you have great communication, you have great vision, and you're consistent in your decision-making, you can't flip-flop. One day you make a decision over here, and the next day it's the same criteria but a different division or different decision. That really confuses your team because your fence posts aren't true then. Right. So consistency, communication, vision, right? And that's for your team. But for you as an owner, you've got to have the capacity to really really have a plan. And then what I find a lot of entrepreneurs do is they put a great plan together. But when I ask them about are you, are you ready to make a full commitment to this, are you ready to be 100% committed to this? Because you have to realize participation and commitment is a choice. Right. So before we start this thing, are you ready to climb over this line and do what you need to do to get there? Because your plan tells you. Are you in or you out? And you can't figure this yeah. stuff out as we walk through the year. It's too late. Exactly. Wow. And you know, uh, so. and you know what? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic place for us to wrap out because you're not going to believe this. So we're at the top of the hour. Ooh. That this is, this has fast. been. This has uh, been an exciting time together, so thank you for being with us. Now, well, we have just a couple minutes left, and I want to turn one of those minutes over to you, Glenn. Uh, tell us a little bit more about, uh, for those who may be sitting on the edge of their seats thinking, I need to move this up to the next level. I need to get my goals in line. I need to get some help doing this. Uh, you know, How can people access you, and what is it that you do that helps our business creators, and how can they get started well, with that? Sure. So the easy answer is how to get in contact with us. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm part of the Sandler Network. So our web page is my last name dot Sandler, right? So it's Matson dot Sandler. Um, uh, excuse me, Matson at dot Sandler dot com. It's a great website. Yeah. You see some great stuff in there. You have papers in there, downloads, etc. Obviously, you can find us on on LinkedIn. Those of that are more uh, dominant type of individuals that they want to make a phone call real quick. Those are the individuals that our prefix is 631 and then it's Sandler. So it's 631-726-3537. And the individuals that usually seek us out, Adam, are those that the average person may say, hey, they're doing pretty good. Right? The person looking on from the outside says, they're actually doing okay over there. But if you ask the individual, they'll tell you they're at best a six or a seven. So the people right. that usually seek us out are have high desire. They want to be better than what they are right now. They know that they have to have different skills and competencies and head issues to become better. Um, we have a track record of helping people transform themselves and then obviously their people and their culture in their business. It's not unusual that we can get 30, 40, 50% growth um, pretty common. We double in about 18 months or some of yeah. our common clients. But it's a lot of work, Absolutely. right? You've got to get the stuff done. So yeah. those that seek us out are those that, that aren't afraid of execution. Absolutely. So, uh, again, uh, that's, I believe that's matson.sandler.com is the website, I believe. Yes. Thank yep. you. Yep. In, yeah, in fact, I'm on it right now, matson.sandler.com. So, Glenn Matson, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, an education. Thanks, Adam, hey, very much. And I hope everyone who's listening heard at least one or two little gems that they can use in their practice the following day. Um, remember, it's not, it's not a secret sauce. You just got to do what you're supposed to do and do it consistently. You bet. 
And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on networks like iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.